Today is September 6th, 2015. The title of today's sermon is Undivided Heart. Undivided Heart. If you'll turn to Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 12. If you've heard about the class, uh, our folks in our Sunday night Acts class are going to be preaching tonight, 10-minute sermons. Lots of stress going on about all that. But it shouldn't be as stressful as we think sometimes because if the Word is actually interacting with us, if we're interacting with the Word and it is making an impact on our lives, then that's what we're sharing. This passage has been uh, tumbling around in my mind and my heart for several days now. So we're going to start in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. It says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. Everybody say, work it out. Work it out. The Bible says to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. How different is that than what we hear in our churchianity world? We're not of those that say, once you've prayed a prayer, then you're done. We're going to default to the Scripture in what we say and say, if it says to continue in an ongoing fashion, in a non-ceasing fashion, for us to continue to work out, to work out our salvation. We're going to come back and figure out exactly what that is. With fear and trembling. Then I'm going to presume that God said exactly what He wanted to be said. And that this is what I'm going to base my entire life off of in each and every instance. So therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, hey man, he's, he's complimenting them. He's proud of them. Not only in my presence. As a parent, there are some times when there's that, there's, there's that nervous factor. I have to be honest with you. I have a young man in my home, my pride and joy, my eldest son, and I have to be honest with you, there was a transition, there was a point in our lives when I was nervous when we were not present. We have those things of he's about to enter kindergarten back in the day, right? Ten years ago. He's about to enter his kindergarten year and I'm nervous. Because I'm like, I've seen what he does at home. (laughs) Dear God, please don't let him embarrass us. Please don't let him get in trouble. And and the response from the teachers was always the exact opposite. Oh my gosh. Your son, he's... He's so helpful. We're like, no, 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 no. We have Gabriel. They're like, no, no, we know. It's Gabriel Southern. We know exactly who it is. He's so helpful. He's so quiet. He's so attentive. And we're like, no, 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 no. We have Gabriel. The guy who bounces around our home all the time, can't sit still, that's the one we have. No, he does great. We actually would get glowing reviews when he was away from us that we were not always quite sure when we were present were the same. But if, as parents, we decided that's probably the best. It's better than the opposite of that, right? Yeah. <laughs> we're in our presence, they're perfect little angels, and you hear non-glowing reports elsewhere. Here, we get a picture of <laughs> speaking to the church at, Philippians, at Philippi, and he says, look, you've always, you guys have always obeyed. Not only in my presence, not only when I'm with you that I can see, Whereas there's that kind of accountability. He says, but, how much, but now much more in my absence. I'm going to come back to that in just a few minutes. Continue to work out your salvation. 
the, the, when you look up the word workout there, um, it's translated appropriately. <laughs> it means to work it out. Let me give you some synonyms, some words that mean the same, some ideas that mean the same as work it out. It means to do, to practice, to work effectually. Hmm. You can work at something, right? Put a lot of effort into it. Have you ever used... Uh, I, I believe this happened the other day uh, to Pastor Eric Treister down in, in Victoria. He had a flat tire on his trailer. And, and I missed some of the details, but I believe that he almost stripped out some of the lug nuts trying to get them off. And they had to go and take it somewhere and someone had to help. If you've ever used the wrong tire iron on something, you could put a whole lot of work in it, but actually you're not being very effectual. A, you're not accomplishing what you're doing and you're actually just causing damage. If you're like me and just want to apply more muscle power to it, just put some more pressure on it, you actually just create problems. But the work, when you're working it out, it's that we're going to work effectually, effectively. I know that's never happened to anyone else in here. <laughs> Get a cheater bar, I'll just... <laughs> pull out the power tools. To finish... When you're working something out, it means you get to a point where you actually have it completed. You finish to accomplish completely. Here's some words that are antonyms. All of our students, hopefully you know what an antonym, antonym is. It's the anti-word. It's the opposite of what we're just saying. These are all derived from actual Greek words. I'm just skipping and giving you the meaning of these. These are actually separate Greek words that when you study it out, it shows you that these are all related. The antonyms of to work out your salvation with fear and trembling means to neglect, to overlook. If we put our salvation on autopilot, we are neglecting and overlooking. We are not fulfilling Scripture if we're just like, well, I'm in. We're good. Let's get this thing to autopilot as quickly as possible. Let's get to cruise control. That's not the design that God has for us is that we find a cruise control. The process here is that we work it out with fear and trembling, to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Some of the older translations, if, if some of you have this, I'm reading out of a 1984 NIV. It says to continue to work out your own salvation. And some of the older ones. Continue to work out your own salvation. Um, I know there are some of us who'd like to try to help someone else work out their salvation. Right? What we can see in someone else. Let me, let me encourage you with a few things. The Bible says that we're supposed to work out our own. Yes. It's not enough to get in a group setting and allow the group momentum to work out our personal salvation. That is not what it's indicated here. There's a personal responsibility. <laughs> You're going to hear me say this a lot. How are you doing with this? How are you doing? Are you talking to me? Yes, I'm talking to you. Of course we're talking to you. That's what we do. Amen. Of course the Word is talking to you. If you always presume it's talking about someone else, you miss what God has for you. Your life will not line up with the Scripture if you always think, man, I wish Brother Baj would have heard that. I wish he would have been here. Well, you're here. We're not worried about who's not here in this moment. We're just saying you're here, so this word applies to you. Amen. Continue to work out your own salvation. There needs to be this continuing process. Are we being effectual in our work here? Am I moving to a point of completion in my salvation? Am I advancing the kingdom here? I'm going to continue to do this to work out myself, my own salvation with fear and trembling. Here are the words in the Greek. Phobos is fear. 
We see how easily we would get the word phobia. To work it out with fear, uh, lest we think we should talk about the reverential, reverential kind of fear only, it says fear and trembling. <laughs> the Greek word there is tromos. Trembling. There should be something that allows us, that causes us inside to go, how am I standing before the God of all creation who does not sleep, who does not slumber, who is not at all deterred by what I think? He is not deceived in any way. He sees clearly. He knows all. How am I doing before that kind of God? How do I stand my complete self? If I'm going to work out my salvation, my own salvation with fear and trembling, there should be the trembling part that comes into our walk. Not very popular today, is it? We, don't, we want to take the word fear and we want to make it only, I honor you. Well, amen. Is that the completeness of the word? Absolutely not. Unless <laughs> lest we try to do that, they said both words. The scripture recorded by God Almighty through the hands of man says fear and trembling. Can we boldly come into the throne room? Yes, we can. But before I can boldly come, I might ought to tremble just a little bit to make sure that I don't have anything dirty inside of me. Perhaps I should truly evaluate, not my own standard, how am I doing against myself? Or how am I doing against Brother Steve? How Perhaps I should go to the standard of God's Word, let the very mighty presence be in my life, let that fire burn inside of me and purify me, and then I can go boldly into His throne room. You have to do both. I'm not saying don't go boldly into the throne room. I'm saying you better check it out with fear and trembling before you go. That reminds me of a passage in Exodus chapter 20. Perhaps the entire Bible is speaking about the same type of thought. Perhaps when Paul is writing these scriptures, he's reminiscing back to the history of the Israelites. Perhaps when he's saying something like fear and trembling, he might have had something like this in mind. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 18. Say there when you are there. The Ten Commandments have just been given. The sentence before this is the end of the Ten Commandments. Verse 18. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke. Wow. God is singeing the top of a mountain with His presence. They trembled with fear. And the New Testament says with fear and trembling. Right here it says they trembled with fear. Perhaps we're talking about some similar understanding here. They stayed at a distance. So if you combine that they trembled with fear and that they stayed at a distance, I'm going to add a different word that is a Wade Sutherland 2015 translation. They cowered. They ran, <laughs> ran away. They ran away and cowered because of the awesomeness that they were seeing. The weighty, the glory of God, this presence that is deep and it's heavy. It's, it's weighing upon them. They're seeing this and they're like, there is fear and trembling. They are trembling with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. 
When Paul is speaking, he's saying, you need to work out your own salvation. You need to work out your own salvation. Here, the entire group of people saying, hey, would somebody go and, and listen to God for me and come tell me what He has to say? Because I'm scared. Work out your own salvation. Is it important to be in a body of believers? Yes. Of course it is. Are we, are we blessed by the body? Yes. Do we learn? Are we challenged? Does iron sharpen iron like one man? Yes. What personal responsibility are we taking to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling? Keep going in verse 20. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you. And look what it says. So that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Perhaps far too many in our generation are constantly sinning and okay with it because they don't actually fear God. Perhaps they're not actually working out their own salvation as the Bible instructs us to do with fear and trembling. Perhaps the very thing that should be keeping us in line is the thing that we try to assuage in those around us. We try to take the weight of that off. Well, we don't want anybody to be afraid. No, I, today, I want you to be afraid of God. In every sense of that word. Because if you really are and understand that we serve a holy and a righteous God, according to what, what Moses says here, perhaps it will keep you from sinning. Amen. Goodness gracious. We want to spend all of our time looking right instead of just being right. When I was a, a private school teacher and principal, you know, what I, you know a lesson that I learned that impacted how I parented? I saw a bunch of kids who looked good. Boy, they were good-looking kids. Beautiful smiles, sweet dispositions, most of them. But I also saw a bunch of kids who were far from God. Had some goobers that would go drinking on the weekend, wreck a vehicle, and by Monday had a brand new vehicle. I didn't presume that their affluence made them, made them in a right standing with God. I learned that it was more important for me as a parent to want to have godly kids and not just good kids. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Well, I can train a kid to do that. There's proper manners. I want my kids to be righteous before a holy God. Amen. If they're righteous, then it produces the other part. If I, perhaps it's almost as if I seek first the kingdom, then everything else is added to it. Instead of just going after the other, please, please notice me. Please think that I'm right. Please think that I'm okay. Hi, let me tell you how cool I am. Let me put a badge on. Tell you what kind of, you know, prayer warrior I am or something. Let me, let me tell you what goes on. Let me show you. Am I okay? Do you like me? Yada, da, 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 da. That's not working out your salvation. That's working out your reputation. That's working out what other people think. Let me show you how smart I am. Guys, don't have any of those things. All I'm trying to do in a daily fashion is to encourage you while I'm doing the same thing to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Amen. And I'm going to think back to when they're standing there at the mountain and they're, and they're seeing this awesome presence of God and they're cowering from Him. Sutherland translation. Cowering. And He says, look, I want you to fear the Lord so that you'll stop sinning. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 2. Verse 
For it is God who works in you, verse 13, to will. <laughs> in other words, you can take zero credit for this thing. If you want to do what's right, it's because God put the desire in you anyway. <laughs> well, I, I found Christ. You did not find Christ. He found you. <laughs> he drew you and you, you said yes to what he was already doing. Isn't that, isn't that really the life of a Christian? He's already doing whatever. I'm not sure how to prophesy it. Well, find out what he's already trying to say and just voice it for the people. I'm not sure where to go with this. Find out what God's... What is he saying to you? Find out what he's doing and conform yourself to him. This is not rocket science. There are deep things in Christ. Amen? Oh, we like to study those things at this church. We like to get in there deep and find it out. Make real disciples of real people in this place. And let's not overly complicate some of these things. It's obedience, my friends. We hear His Word and we do it. We hear His Word and we do it. If we're unclear, we ask Him so that he, we can hear His Word. Then we can do it. We stop sinning. <laughs> when we're sinning and we're walking in sin, it's like putting something in our ears. La, 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 la. I can't hear from God. I wonder why. You're, you're full of sin. You, you haven't taken care of the most obvious thing to show that you actually fear the Lord. For it is God who works in you to will and to act. Heart and the hand. To will and to act according to His good purpose. It's God who does it. Verse 14. Do everything. So, so you get this, right? You get continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. By the way, the repetition of me saying that is very intentional. You're going to hear me say it another 40 times today. Actually, I don't know how many. But you're going to hear it a lot. Because you know what I want you to walk away with? Perhaps we should continue to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. The rest of what I'm going to say today is part of a way to do that. How do we... Oh, great. I agree. The Lord has put it within me. I want to continue to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, how do I do that? Let's see exactly what it says in the next verse. Do everything without complaining or arguing. No, no, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I thought you were going to lay like some deep spiritual principle on us. It says, hey, number one, don't argue or complain. Wait, 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 wait. We have to start like at that kind of a level? Yes. How do you know if you're working these things out? If you can do everything. And by the way, um, again, so many of you are such astute Bible scholars. Um, I looked up the word everything. You know what it means? It means everything. <laughs> it's translated as all. You're welcome. There's the Greek study for the day, right? Everything actually means everything. So if that's the standard of the word, how are you doing today? How have you done this week? Can you do everything without complaining or arguing? If you can't, perhaps you should work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Perhaps the standard is there, and if we can't do that, then we go, God, please forgive us for our iniquities. Would you help us to draw closer to you? Would you empower us by your Holy Spirit to, that I can do everything without complaining 
Some other translations use that word as murmuring. A little bit different connotation there, right? Complaining is that maybe I turn to someone and I complain. If I'm murmuring, who am I really talking to? It's a heart issue. I can't believe they... Right, you start murmuring. You start complaining because there's some dissatisfaction in your own heart. There's some issues. You got some stuff that's on the inside that's trying to work its way out. And if you ignore the complaining and say how righteous you are in your complaint and how accurate you are, you miss the fact that the Bible says do everything without complaining. Don't let it murmur. Don't let it build inside you. Perhaps it's the authorities in our life that we question. Why in the world would Pastor Wade do that? I can't believe. I don't presume that I'm correct in everything. But I can tell you what the Scripture says. I can tell you that that's my standard that I have to live by. Just like it is for you. You know when you have a good friend? You have a good friend who'll come up and be like, okay, that's enough. Hey, I love you. Stop. You're being negative. <laughs> You're pulling me down, man. You know? We, sh- we should have some godly friendships in this kind of place that says, hey, really, is, is, if you're complaining, are you really, aren't you really saying that God's not enough in your life? Yes. Aren't you really saying that you're dissatisfied with what the God of all creation is doing in you? Well, it's not fast enough. It's not quick enough. It's not good enough. Stop complaining. You know, why? Because it's, it's dealing with your heart issue. Well, I didn't say it to anyone then you're murmuring, so stop murmuring. I'll just pull out a different translation and we'll, we'll keep going. Right? Or arguing. One I view for this, for, for this I'm going to put it in as direct terms as I can. One is I view with an internal and a heart issue. The other is how I deal with my peers. Arguing. It talks about, when you look up that word, it talks about the thoughts and the directions that things are going. Do you like the direction of your life? Do you complain about the direction of your workplace? Do you, com- do you, do you want to argue with someone about how you're right and they're not? Huh. Whether it's the authority in our life, whether it's our circumstances, whether it's our peers, whether it's those that we're over, the Bible says do everything without complaining or arguing. Standard. How are you doing with this standard? Verse 15. So that you may become blameless. Everyone say blameless. Blameless. And pure. Everyone say pure. pure. Blameless and pure. So we've talked about our murmuring, our, our sense of thankfulness. Are we murmuring? Are we complaining? Are we arguing? Now, let's, let's get in another step here. Let's go here and say, so that you may become Blameless. So these ideas of arguing, complaining, murmuring are, in fact, according to the Scripture, attached to whether we can become blameless and pure. If you are complaining, arguing, murmuring, you are not blameless and pure. If you want to be blameless and pure, you have to take care of both your heart and your hand. You with me? Yes. 
We want a church. We want to be a part of the kingdom of God that will become blameless and pure. He won't allow you in if you're not blameless and pure. There is a standard that we must come up to. We must fear Him so that we become blameless and pure. If we keep making excuses for ourselves, if we keep being overly graceful in our sin area, grace is the power that we don't have to do these things. It's not the excusing of what we've done that is wrong before a holy God. That's why we're trying to take... We work on this so hard as this church. We want the whole counsel of His Word. We want the whole counsel because we understand that we're supposed to continue to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, how do we... We're going to get the whole picture that God's grace is there, but it's the grace to not do this so that we can become blameless and pure. The word blameless, one of the translations for it is without finding fault. Directly out of a Strong's Concordance. I didn't write the number down on this one, but I can find it. I think it's number 273. <clears throat> Blameless, without finding fault. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. You can hold your place there. It's just a few scriptures over. <coughs> Excuse me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Let's start in verse 11. Okay, so three people are there. Okay, just checking. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. <clears throat> That'll preach. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other. Amen. And for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May He strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all of His holy ones. The desire here, guys, the design is, is that we're going to be blameless. Are you walking in a blameless way? Wow. Not, hey, don't blame me for what goes on, but in actual blameless fashion, without fault. Again, we find... Um, Let's turn to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. Chapter 6 verse 9. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. Everybody say righteous man. Blameless among the people. Everybody say blameless among the people. people. Of his time. And he walked with God. And it talks about Noah's three sons. Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless. (laughs) He had clean hands and a pure heart, it says in Psalms 24. We see again our actions and our heart that are tied together. Go back to Philippians chapter 2. He's blameless. He had actions that proved that reflected what his heart was. There was sincerity. There was integrity. Integrity, an integral, a wholeness of what goes on, that what we say and what we desire and what we do, they all match. 
our hand is going to be a reflection of our heart. For us to be blameless in what we do, we have to have a pure heart. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15, so that you may become blameless and pure. What is the word pure there? Unmixed. The word pure there means without mixing. We're not going to mix things. We're not going to mix our thoughts. Have you ever been confused by something? Have you ever really looked at something like, I don't know which one I want to do? As a matter of fact, I kind of want to do both. Maybe there's multiple options. I really kind of, I see a little bit of each one. I, I see some merit in each one of these. Isn't this what people do when they're actually considering yielding to a God that's drawing them? Aren't they, trying, aren't they in a valley of decision going, but I really kind of like my life. It's fun to sin. I don't want to have to change that because I really, it's fulfilling some need in me. But I do see that there's something different about these believers around me. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to wrestle with this. In other words, they're mixing their thoughts. They're mixing their heart on things and that produces what? A lack of purity. It produces impurity in someone's life when you have mixed thoughts. Well, maybe I'll do this. Oh, maybe I'll do this. What does the Bible say? A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Every single one of them. There's no purity. How can the hands be doing the right thing? Because the heart isn't right. We're supposed to be blameless and pure. I put without mixing our thoughts, without mixing our heart, and without mixing our proximity to the world. Proximity. How do we wrestle with we're in the world, but we're not of the world? How do we wrestle with we want to be a light, we want to be the salt, but we're supposed to be unmixed? Perhaps it requires that we continue to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Perhaps we don't try to go either or because it's just a default. Can I encourage you? If you get to a place in your life where you're just going by a default, you're probably, well, you're not following the Spirit of God. You may even accidentally get to the correct answer, which is even worse for you than had you got the wrong answer. Because had you got the wrong answer, you would cry out to God, perhaps, and He could show you. What do I mean by default? Um, I'm going to default that uh, I'm going to be gracious to everyone I come in contact with. Only silky smooth Super sweet grace. I'm going to default to that because I don't want to be harsh on people. I don't want them to get offended. What about when God's offended with them? What about when God is angry with them? But I've already defaulted. I'm just going to be nice. I'm not going to say anything. And by nice, I just mean I'm, just, I'm only going to say positive things because I'm trying to encourage people. Shame on me for having a default that is opposite of God's will. Shame on me. Uh, shame on you. Do you have defaults? Are you just doing things just because you do them and it seems like a good idea and it works out most of the time? So that's my default. Perhaps we should have a pure and un unmixed heart. Amen. Perhaps we should be listening. What, is, what does it say in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5? The pure in heart will what? They'll see God. There's clarity. They can understand God's will. They can hear God's voice. They can move when God moves. They can stop when He stops. 
because they can see because there's an unmixed nature within them. Don't go on default. Don't go on autopilot. Don't go on cruise control. You're not going to get where you're supposed to get. How do you address the parts in your life? Are there areas in your life where you've decided that a default is just okay? I'm just going to default to this. What are those areas in your life where you've just put it on autopilot? And you're missing God's will for you. You're not stepping the way He's stepping, even if on the outside it looks like you came up with the right answer. You came about it the wrong way, and that's not how the kingdom is built. But my hand was right, but your heart was wrong. But it looked like I did something good, but you were trying to do it for your own selfish reasons. They got blessed. Is your heart right or not? Because God is gracious to them doesn't mean that you did it the right way. Doesn't mean that I did it the right way. Perhaps we should have some fear and trembling in how we engage everyone that we talk to. Perhaps um, my normal spiel that I do with somebody isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. Perhaps I should be more spirit-led than that. And if I just do my normal thing, perhaps I put myself in opposition to the God of all creation. We should tremble. Our knees should quake at that thought. Lord, please help me. Lord, I need Your Spirit at work in me. Lord, would You not let me go on autopilot because that's not, that's not You. That's not how You work. That's how the world works. We don't plant churches in the world. We, we franchise them. Let's franchise it. You, you, so you mean you just take the cookie cutter and you start stamping things out? So you can go on autopilot. So you don't have to really seek God's voice today. We're just going to stamp out another one. We're going to... Look how many I got done! I do so many more this way! God is an ultimate craftsman. Each one is going to be hand-carved. Each one is going to be refined individually. Each one is going to have just a flair. Even if there may be two similar products, they cannot be the same because He's a God who goes for the individual and says, I'm going to, tear, I'm going to cut this out. I'm going to refine this part. I'm going to cut that away. Nope, can't do it that way. But they do it that way. Doesn't matter because you're mine. I'm the boss. I get to tell you what to do. But I don't like it. It's hard. I'm sorry. Too bad. Perhaps we should continue to work out our own salvation. If we have a pure heart, we will see God. Turn with me to John chapter 3. As I was thinking through this, (laughs) if y'all could have been with us this morning, your pastors are such godly men full of inspiration and yeah we were struggling (laughs) I need some more coffee (laughs) there's not enough coffee in the world (laughs) right now we're literally talking to each other and having to stand up all right 
we got this. <laughs> We're talking and working out our salvation with fear and trembling is what, is what we're discussing. Amen. We're discussing how beautiful things were in Louisiana. How difficult and how beautiful. <laughs> how ridiculous and how wonderful. How anointed and crazy. We were talking about Victoria and going, wow, how anointed and ridiculous and wonderful and bizarre and, and glorious and slightly frightening. This is our discussion this morning. We're going, Lord, perhaps you're trying to show us some things. Perhaps even our very experiences as a church. Lord, our, our church is gone. We've each, each of us have driven hundreds of miles in the last few hours. Yes. Hundreds. Hours in the vehicle. What are we doing? And the Lord started showing us about a certain man named Nicodemus. John chapter 3. Say there when you're there. Yeah. Verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus. When did he come to him? <laughs> Bold kind of guy, right? Real stud. Can we turn off the lights so I can sneak over here to talk to this guy? He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know. I think it's just him. Right, that diffusion of responsibility, even in how he's talking. Well, I mean, we all know. All right, Nicodemus, I see where you're coming from. We know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. Well, amen. So Jesus must have surely quickly accepted him. And in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. You're trying to share with me some small little piddly version of what you think truth is. Jesus says, let me just cut to it. I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. <laughs> Nicodemus compliments Jesus, and Jesus is like, not physically. He, he assaults him with this truth. Bam! I know you're, you're a really cool guy. You can't see anything until you're born again. Um, how can a man be born again when he's old? Have you ever said something to your kids and they missed it? <clears throat> Have you ever said something to your spouse? And, no. That was not from God, sorry. Have you ever said something to somebody and they just took it the wrong way? You're like... I think this, and they, the conclusion that they came to is, uh, did, uh, I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> I'm going to stand over here now. <laughs> Jennifer says that the spirit has left the building. Okay. <clears throat> have, I, we've all had those conversations, right? You're like, I could not have said that any more plainly. Somehow, they took it as the opposite. 
So you want me to stay here until you get back? No. No. What are we doing? Jesus says, I tell you the truth in verse 3, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. <laughs> I love Nicodemus. How, how can a man be born again when he's old? Nicodemus asked, surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And that, that's the most ridiculous comeback. <laughs> Ever been talking to somebody and you, look, this happens as a pastor. You'll say something and somebody goes, well, how can I be birthed again? Ugh. I'm, ugh. Whew. Lord, help me. <laughs> I do need your grace here. <laughs> totally misses the point. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. How many times are we trying to produce spiritual things from a fleshly perspective? It cannot happen. Cannot. The word that came forth today out of uh, Exodus that Sam, that Sam gave. Lord, we don't want to go if you're not going to go with us. You've got to go. How, are, how is anyone going to know that we're different unless your Spirit is with us? Do you see how these are, the Spirit of God is interlacing these things today? Yes. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it is coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born in the Spirit. There's another force at work here that you can't see with your natural eyes. Verse 9, how can this be? Nicodemus asked. And, and, and Jesus then gently comforts him and hugs him. And they sing Kumbaya. Sorry, wrong version, right? Verse 10. You are Israel's teacher. So Nicodemus comes in and starts off with we. Jesus cuts through the we and says, You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Banner, banner, banner. Hey, so... You're a teacher. You should know these things. What are you doing, Nicodemus? Wow. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know. Huh. We speak of what we know. Had, had those, have those friends who speak about things of which they do not know? <laughs> Pretty ridiculous conversation, isn't it? People who are trying to look right, and they're not right. Well, I, I think this. <laughs> you have no clue what you're talking about, do you? I'm not even sure if I'm going to explain to you how much you don't know. Because I'm not sure you could even understand it. <laughs> Sorry, is that a little harsh? Sorry about that. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify of what, to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. <laughs> You want to talk to me about we? Fine. You people. You. There's something important about a distinction between Jesus. He's saying, he didn't say we people. He said you people. Hey, Nicodemus, I'm going to do you a favor. This entire conversation, I've been trying to draw a line. 
and I'm showing you that I'm on one side of the line. Perhaps you can, should consider if you're on the same side of the line that I am. You people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. Like, you can't get it, and I'm just talking about normal stuff. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Wasn't he already talking about the kingdom? Wasn't he already talking about salvation? He's like, I hadn't even gotten started yet. There were times as a school teacher, some of the most basic tasks would get unfulfilled in the classroom. Okay, I want you to take out a sheet of paper, put your name in the upper right-hand corner. Name, date, and the period. How is it that I can have four pages turned in without a name on it? You people are going to college. What's wrong with you? I asked you, like, I'm not even talking about the hard stuff yet. We haven't even gotten to the test. I just want you to put your name on the paper. Can we just start with that? Sometimes this is me. I'm on the other end of this as a believer. God's going, you haven't even put your name on the paper yet. And you think you should be a professor. <laughs> right? Oh, perhaps I should just do what I'm instructed to do. Verse 13, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert. Wow. We've talked about that in the past few weeks, haven't we? In Numbers 21. As Moses lifted up the snake in the desert. Wait, this is the New Testament. Yep. He's pointing us all the way back to Numbers because this is just part of this is the frame of reference. This is the basis for what they're saying, what Jesus himself is saying here. So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Verse 16. Oh, I'm more familiar with this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. People would look at this and say, if Jesus wasn't sent to condemn the world, wasn't he being a little harsh on Nicodemus? This is part of the salvation process, folks. Yeah. This is part of us having fear and trembling of who God is. This is part of us continuing to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We have to understand that there's a line and we have to acknowledge where we are. <clears throat> For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Not any other way. Through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. You want to talk about the default? Your default position, unless we believe, is condemnation. The default is the condemnation until we allow God to work in our lives and something changes. It's condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Everybody say verdict. Verdict. Isn't that a good word? It's a good word. Verdict implies courtrooms, implies judges, it implies a structure, it implies searching things out in in an intricate way. Light has come into the world. Amen. But men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. We had a conversation yesterday in Victoria, a young man who is professing how much he's turned his life around. 
Amen. We'll see. We'll see if you actually still love the deeds of darkness and know how to say the things that sound like you're in the light. My comment to him was, Amen. Well, we'll see. Let's talk in a few months and see if your walk is better now or if you're in more darkness than you are now. <clears throat> Everyone who does evil hates the light. There's the line. There's clarity. There's exactly what Jesus is telling us. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Kind of like the way Nicodemus came to Jesus, right? He came at night. Huh. They're probably standing there in the dark talking. Huh. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. I'm adding a little bit here. Perhaps they even walk over closer to a candle or a lantern. Perhaps, perhaps, <laughs> as far as his homiletics here, he actually stands or he shows the light or he's getting this very natural concept to illuminate a very deep spiritual truth so that it may be plainly seen that what he has done has been done through God. Now, lest you think the story stops here, turn to John chapter 7. A few chapters over. Chapter uh, 7, verse 45. <clears throat> Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, Why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Retorted. I like words like that. Retorted. Makes me think of a... <sighs> Has any of the rulers or the, of the Pharisees believed in him? In other words, let me, let me judge you by our standard. Have we given over to this Jesus guy? Maybe. No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse on them. Wow, isn't that a religious spirit? We're going to presume that we know everything about what's going on and assign... We're going to be the emperor in the arena, either thumbs up or thumbs down, before you actually even know. No, this mob that knows nothing of the law. We're going to insult the people that we just are about to condemn. There is a curse on them. Verse 50, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, and who was one of their own number. In case you think this was a different guy named Nick, Nicodemus was there at night in chapter 3, He's here again, and he's also, oh, that's right, he was part of the Jewish ruling council. They're saying, hey, none of us believe in him. Nicodemus says, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? He's had an encounter with Jesus, and perhaps that clear line in the sand starts working in him. And he starts thinking and considering and what is this born again? What is this light and darkness? Golly, he talked and it, it, it pierced my soul. What is going on here? He comes back and stands up now to his peers and says, Hey, we're not even following our own traditions here. Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? In a beautiful kind of religious way. 
Verse 52, they replied, are you from Galilee too? Um, Why? Because they were presuming that Jesus was from Galilee, which is not where he was from. That religious spirit thinks that you're right even though you haven't investigated a thing. You've forgotten about fear and trembling. You've forgotten to continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And here you are just saying things. Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Well, fine, because he's not from Galilee anyway. Alrighty then. Turn to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Unfortunately, there are, case, there, there are quite a few cases in the Bible where you can see someone and you can see a path in their life and they don't necessarily end well. Nicodemus here, we're going to see him in one more area and we're going to, we're going to see about his life. 19, uh, John chapter 19, verse 38. <clears throat> Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. Interesting. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. In case you didn't catch it, this is the same guy. I think that's interesting. Just those little, those little uh, extra phrases in there. They're like, hey, this is the same Nicodemus. Same guy. Okay, cool. Got it. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. That's a pretty serious commitment of lotions, right? Lotions and potions, right? He brought these things to be able to anoint the Christ. That is a serious investment of resources, of time, of effort. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them, I have to be honest, I forget sometimes that Nicodemus is here in this story as well. I think of Joseph of Arimathea in my mind. That's the first one. Came and got the body. Nicodemus is there. And he didn't just come and bring the stuff. Here's the spices. See ya. The two of them wrapped it. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. You think Nicodemus may have known a little bit about that as a ruling council member of the Pharisees? Hmm. Perhaps where God has you and what He's assigned you to do can glorify the kingdom. Perhaps He can use you to glorify the kingdom if we continue to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Turn to Luke chapter 23. This is just a parallel passage. We are rounding. We're about to land the plane, as they say. Luke chapter 23 Good job. Verse 50. Let's start in verse 50. Luke 23, 50 says this. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. In this passage, we don't see Nicodemus' name given. But we know because of the parallel passage... Joseph of Arimathea, and we know that Nicodemus was with him. 
Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb, cut in the rock. (laughs) One in which no one had yet been laid. Wow. This tomb that was carved out of stone. Little by little, the stone was removed to create a place where Jesus would reside. Little by little, the stoniness was taken away for Jesus to be able to be there. Turn to Psalms chapter 86, verse 11. For those of you in the class, we have now gone through the law. We've gone to the New Testament. We will now look at the writings, and I will finish in the prophets. Psalms chapter 86, verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. You mean it doesn't just come naturally? Nope. Because we have to continue. Okay. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Um, Americans, uh, non-Americans here in the room, teach is not just an intellectual pursuit. It's not an understanding that comes only in our mental capabilities. Lord, ingrain your words in my soul. Teach me. Make me into something different and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Lord, give me a pure heart. Don't let me be mixed with anything else, God, because I want to see you. I don't want to pretend like I can see you. I actually want to see you at work in my life. Ezekiel chapter 11, and this is our final verse, our final scripted verse here. (laughs) Ezekiel chapter 11. Amen. Are you guys still with me? Ezekiel chapter 11. Let's start in verse 16. Just to put this whole thing in context. Therefore say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Although I sent them far away among the nations and scattered them among the countries, yet for a little while... I have been a sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. Therefore say, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Perhaps if we did more of that in our own lives. Perhaps if we say only what the Sovereign Lord says, we'd probably all be much better served in our walk. Amen? Amen. I will gather you from the nations and bring you back from the countries where you have been scattered. And I will give you back the land of Israel again. Verse 18, they they will return to it and remove all its vile images and detestable idols. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. God continues to carve out this heart of stone until He can replace it because now there's a place just like the tomb 
where Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus laid Jesus, there's got to be a removal of the stone and a replacing with that which is a heart of flesh. Something that can be sensitive to God's will. Something that says, God, I stand before you in fear and trembling, but you've got to help me to continue to work out my salvation. Ladies and gentlemen, what are you, how are you doing with this? Have you allowed God to take out every stony area of your heart? Maybe you're here today. I'm not even completely convinced. I hope this is the case, but I'm not completely convinced that every person in this room has actually removed any part of the stone from their heart. Perhaps you still have a heart of stone. Perhaps when I say that you should have fear and trembling before God, and you're like, well... I like my sin a lot, though. I haven't really even started the process of trying to work out my salvation because there's no salvation yet. Let let me encourage you today. If Jesus looks at a man who is a ruling council member and says, hey, bro, you don't even understand. What we work very hard to do in this church is to not absolve you from the personal responsibility that you have to get your life right with God. We're not going to assign you. We're not going to tell you that you're saved. Perhaps you should work it out, your own salvation with fear and trembling. (laughs) If He says that I will remove... I'm going, to, I'm going to give them an undivided heart. Is your heart divided? Well, I'm not quite sure. I'm still kind of thinking about it. Then you have a divided heart and He hasn't replaced your stony heart yet. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's very clear in the Word. The Word is very clear. It's a mirror for us to examine our own lives and say, if I have a divided heart, if I'm wrestling with walking in a sinful nature, if I still am bound to sin, then I'm going to say that your heart hasn't been regenerated yet. All I'm trying to do is draw a line just like Jesus did and say, I would like to invite you to come over to this side of the line. I don't want you to stay there, but I'm not going to pretend like that you may not be there. 